and welcome to the Vlogging Pod. Tonight we are joined by alternative fiction author P.D. Olivia. I hope I pronounced that right again. I think I might have fubbled up, so my apologies if I did. <laughs> welcome to the room. How are you this evening? Yeah, I'm very good. Very good. Thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for asking. Sorry. Uh, it's a good day. Facebook camera fuzzed out there, but it's back. So, oh, it's okay. Hold on. <laughs> you're fine. Um, I'm here. You're, okay, cool beans. There's always a technical issue somewhere. Um, so I wanted to start tonight. Started my timer here. We do about 20 minutes, just so you know. And I okay. wanted to start off by say asking you about the alternative fiction. So what does that exactly mean to you? And what should your readers take away from that interpretation? Okay, so alternative fiction was when I started getting into becoming a writer full time, I knew I was going to write science fiction books and I knew I was going to write horror books. And I'm also, I love writing thrillers, right? So I'm like, all right, this is obviously called multi-genre. But when you, you say the word multi-genre, it sounds like you got a golf ball stuck in your throat. So I wanted something different, something to explain. Then I'm kind of like, I'm combining these and putting my own twist on it. And then I said, all right, what should I call it? And then I'm a 90s kid. I grew up in the 90s. So I figured alternative fiction sounded really good. Okay. That makes sense. I can understand what you're saying by that. Um, I've read that you often know the ending to your books before you know the beginnings. Tell me how that works out for you. It's it, I think it works out perfectly for myself, right? I, I love a good ending, you know, whether it's a book or a movie. I love a fantastic ending. Once I have that fantastic ending that's that's in my head, everything is just leading up to that point. So everything that comes with it, all the emotion, all the drive towards that is always leading towards that, that finality. Yeah. Okay. Works out quite well. I do enjoy it. I like knowing the ending now. Here's the thing, though, like when I write, like with my series, I have a sci-fi series called The Rose. So I know how volume three, there's three volumes, I'm writing volume three now. I've known how volume three was going to end from when I started writing The Rose volume one. I knew what that ending was. But everything is just leading up to that finality throughout all those three volumes. And it's a lot of fun getting there, let's put it that way. I see, I am completely the opposite. <laughs> when, I, when I write, I have no graphs of my endings. So, but for me, it's like um, being in a book that I'm reading for the first time, if that makes sense. So I kind of enjoy um, not knowing the endings. So it always astounds me when you, when you say that you already know the endings. That's quite intriguing, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah, I always say the journey is the most fun part, right? The the ending is there. It's going to end. Sooner or later, it's going to end. And I want my endings to always be truly impactful and profound. You know, a, a great ending can make or break any book, any book or movie that's out there. 
I always want, have that ending in my mind. And I love the journey of like discovering how we're going to get to that ending. Right. So I want to hear a little bit more about your editing, especially where it determines um, knowing the ending first. I mean, is there a process to that? It's like writing backwards. Tell me how that exactly works when you know the ending and try to start the beginning. It's funny, is it? All right, so I know the ending and what I do my process is I'll have, I'll start taking notes. And what I do is I send myself emails, right? And then I put those emails in a folder in my email account. Then when I actually go sit down to write, I take all those emails, paste them into a Word document, do a quick review. And then I sit down and write. And when I just go by the seat of my pants, going all the way towards that ending. That's how I get that. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I'm just intrigued by it, to be honest with you. And do you find that you struggle with the ending? I mean, I'm sorry, the beginning, knowing the ending? No. Wow. No, no, I don't. I don't at all. That... I also write across, um, like, multiple points of view. There's a lot of different points of view in all my books. So, like, with my horror book, Gollum, you get three or four different points of view with my Rose series. There's six different points of view. So that's where I have most of my fun as a writer. I'm also a psychologist, oh. <laughs> kind of like my evening job. <laughs> I love the psychology and I love getting into my characters' heads. And that to me is the most fun part of doing the writing because I know where it's leading and I know where it's going. So getting them there, and even it's kind of like I'm tricking my own characters too. You know, I'll throw in like you know different twists and turns for them to go through to get them and lead them to that that finality. And as far as the editing, no, um, I do actually I do edit backwards. <laughs> that is definitely a fact. I read backwards. So what I want to hear more, uh, we talked about about your editing, um, but. There's a one piece of this I wanted to mention as well. I read that you have an uncanny knack of keeping plot twists organized in your brain. Now, how does that work? I do. I do. <laughs> I don't know how it works. It's uh, <laughs> it's something I've always been able to do, and I, it's like I'm very good at putting the pieces to the puzzle together, fitting those pieces in perfectly, and then just like seeing how they connect. It just stays in, it just stays in my head. Nice. How it happens, I don't know, but I've always been there. I'm very good at math as well. Are you photogenic? I mean, like, were you visual? You can see it? No. I've no? been asked that before, and that's not what it is. It just like... It's just like a thought that's there that doesn't go away, and I can tap into it any time. I know exactly what it is. Okay. So it's more like a knowing than a, than like a visual, you know, type of um, you know, picture that I see in my head. It's more like just I know that like I, this plot point is going to happen, and it needs to come out by this time in the book. Huh. That yeah. is really interesting. <laughs> I, I, it's hard for me to wrap my brain around it because I'm like, I mean, even if you could look into my sound booth, you would see all the posty notes I have on the backboard here <laughs> and all my stuff for the engineering part of my, what I do in here. So it really is astounding that you have that kind of ability to put everything together like that. Um, so let's I even have, 
Go ahead. When I, I have that Word document, right? So that Word document, it has all the like emails and plot points that I came up with. And when I, after I started writing, I never even look at that Word doc ever again. I know it's there if I need it, but I never actually look at it again. Yeah, see, I what I have to do is I have a document sitting on one side of the screen and a document sitting on the other so I can have all my stuff situated. So, yeah, that to me is like just amazing that you can do that. So let's that's, talk. That's the too. Like what you're getting into with the editing is finding those details like today. So I'm editing a new horror book called Jiggly Spot and the Zero Intellect. And in the beginning of the book, I noticed like Jiggly Spot has like bluish green eyes with a slight more hint of blue than green, right? And then later on down, probably I would say probably like 20 chapters later, two other characters were talking about him as a description, FBI agents, and they say dark hair, dark eyes, right? So I'm like, oh, you know, I need to switch that up because, you know, he has blue eyes, blue green eyes. Like stuff like that, that's where the editing comes through. And that's, I love the editing process. I used to not like the editing process. It was like the most fearsome thing I've ever gone through. But once I fell in love with editing and just getting into that technical aspect of it, it's, I find editing just as fun as the actual writing. Just a different like personality. looking at the dark side and the light side because and I say dark side simply for myself because I hate editing and so you are like the total opposite of, my, of myself um, well, I used to not like editing too right so I figured one day I sat down and I'm like you need to fall in love with this stuff because the more you fall in love with it the more you like it the better you're going to be at it so just accept it it's part of you know who you are and the career you want to go down. So embrace it, learn everything you can about it, and put out good products. Uh, well, that's that's a that's a healthy way to look at it, I guess. Um, so let's talk a little about hunting tales of suspense, Gollum. Tell me about the book and its creation. Creation is going to take some time, so I'll, I'll tackle that next. So the book takes place in late 1940s, early 1950s, New York City. And it follows a young, naive detective or police officer who gets promoted to detective right in the beginning of the book, so the second chapter. And he gets assigned to the missing persons unit, and his first case is to find the DA's missing daughter, who had been missing for about two years at this point, so more of a cold case. And the reason he's assigned it is because they have a new lead. And that new lead is a high society sculptor and socialite named Alina Francone. But Alina has been at Bellevue Psychiatric Hospital for the past six months. And he goes to question her. And when he goes to question her, she tells him the story of Gollum. Gollum is based on Pygmalion, um, Frankenstein, and My Fair Lady. So that's a comedy. So we'll get to that in a second. But... So she tells him the story of how she sculpted this, this sculpture of a man that she incarnated a demon into by the name of Gollum. And Gollum has been using her wealth and power to manipulate high society in New York City, all right, and is also bringing in, using vibrational frequencies in order to bring in demons from Shabolba, 
which in this book is a distant planet on the other side of the universe. And he uses orphans to serve as bodily hosts for this demonic army. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah, that was a mouthful. <laughs> it was. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. It really has a lot to pull you in, but that's a lot. I mean, did you find it hard to keep track of everything in that? No, I didn't. I didn't. I love Gollum. Is like I consider Gollum like my Frankenstein novel. Something I've been wanting to write for decades. Uh, the idea first spawned in my head probably I would say when my daughter was nineteen, so eighteen years ago. I remember that because I was going to college. I was taking a theater class at that, that time, and part of the theater class is we read Pygmalion and then we watched My Fair Lady. And Frankenstein has always been my, my favorite novel since I read it in 11th grade, always. I always wanted to do a Frankenstein, gothic, monster, horror-type story. So when I watched Pygmalion, of course, Pretty Woman is also based on, like, Pygmalion as well, which is a great movie. So when I'm watching Pygmalion or reading Pygmalion and watching My Fair Lady, the idea spawns in my head. Wouldn't it be fantastic where Frankenstein is a, a guy creates another man? What if, a, what if Victor Frankenstein was a woman that created Frankenstein? What would the difference be between that monster and how he's, he's nurtured and like evolves in his own life? So that's kind of like where Gollum was spawned. Wow. I get that. So... Yeah. As we talk about your creativity, I've read that you see creativity of writing a way of releasing demons without the drama. You care to explain that? Ha! <laughs> well, let's just say I have a very sordid past, right? So I've been writing since I was knee high to a grasshopper. You know, I had, um, everybody has their difficult times growing up, but that darkness of that creativity has always been there. And as life goes on, if I'm not putting it into putting that darkness into something like that creativity, it spills out all over in real life. You know, all that, that darkness, that dark energy needs to go somewhere and needs to be channeled into something and channeling into something creative. Ah, it, it releases, it releases that darkness. It's like you get detached from it, makes everything feel better. To pour all your darkness into the into that novel, right? Mm -hmm. Put it all in there so it doesn't come out in real life. That's awesome. Is that something that, um, because it, it kind of reminds me um, of what some people do when they wake up from dreams and they write it all in their book. Is it something like that process for you? It just helps release everything, those... I'm not saying you have dark images in your head like your books, but I'm just saying it helps like lethargically. Does it help with that? Sure. It's, sure. It's a, it's a release. It's getting it out. You know, okay. anywhere. We all have the energy, either dark or good energy, right? So mm -hmm. we need to release that energy somewhere. Are you releasing it? I've released it into my creativity. It's where I like it. Keeps me and allows me to maintain a peaceful state of mind on the outside. Actually, that's a pretty good word of phrase right there. Um, it, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, actually. So I saw that you had a number one new release in classic science fiction. I believe the book was The Rose. Would you care to tell us about the book and the journey you took to hitting the number one status? 
Yes, definitely. That's um, <laughs> the rose. Those are my alien vampires. Okay. Right. So the rose is a dystopian science fiction action fantasy thriller. If you want to lump everything in there, <laughs> and uh, it takes place immediately after the end of World War Three. A World War Three treaty has been signed. Right. So. At this point, people don't know that aliens exist. And what happens is there's a, of course, a rebellion going on against what I'm about to tell you. And in the beginning of the book, one of these rebel freedom fighters rescues a unsuspecting human by the name of Sandy from a safety camp. During the war, they all went to these safety camps, obviously for safety. <laughs> so he rescues her for this camp. And during the rescue attempt, it, give, it gets botched. And she winds up getting taken to an underground medical compound. When she gets there, she realizes that there's gray aliens that are doing genetic manipulation on human beings. It's also alien vampires who are kind of running this medical compound. And they're conspired with human beings as well. And the whole purpose is underground compounds for genetic manipulation and to create Mom, uh, zombies out of the human population. The way they're doing that is by giving them a pharmaceutical that destroys gray matter in the brain. So when she wakes up in that medical compound, the guy, Phil, needs to go and rescue her. But she's still pregnant, and when she wakes up, she is no longer pregnant because they've birthed their baby and have done some genetic manipulation on the child as well. Wow. <laughs> and the first one takes place... 90% of the book takes place in that underground medical compound, and it's very fast-paced, very action-packed. Um, a lot of conspiracies and conspiracy theories. I love ancient aliens, right? So, But I also put some into quantum physics. I'm into, like, spiritualism, um, ancient philosophy. So a lot of that core is in there as well. Um, but also, you get into the multiple points of view. So you're in the head of a, a few alien vampires. You're in the head of, like, gray aliens, you know, it's, I like that dynamic. You're in, obviously, the, the female, her name is Sandy, protagonist. You're in the other guy, his name is Phil, that's a protagonist. You're in a few other, um, you know, like, side characters. You're in their heads as well. It just makes for a very, very fun read, a very fun read. The reviews have been fantastic. So people are definitely enjoying that one. And Volume 2 just came out. Yes. So in Volume 2 is more like, I love sequels. I'm an Empire Strikes Back fan, right? Yeah. The God. Part two, Star Trek Part two, Wrath of Khan. You know, I yeah. love a good sequel. So that's where the depth comes in. The, you know, the character development. You know, of course, you know more stuff going on and more twists and turns in the plot. But Volume Two was, ah, to me, that was a journey and it was a fantastic journey to take. But back to the journey towards the number one bestseller for the Rose Volume One. It was a lot of marketing and a lot of help from other indie authors as well of where advertise here, advertise there, get on BookBub, do like BookBub ads, um, a few other like email marketing campaigns as well. And all that together got that number one spot. So very cool. Nice, very nice. Um, so for my last question for the evening, and I hate to call it to it quits, but um, my because you're you've been an awesome guest, really you have. So for my last question for you of the night, what can we expect to see for you coming from you next? Uh, jiggly spot in the zero intellect. <laughs> that is my uh, jiggly spot is one hundred and fifty thousand words. I wrote it, it took me over seven months to write this book. And it's, 
it's what I call my COVID quarantine satirical, <laughs> right? <laughs> so satirical cosmic grindhouse horror fantasy thriller novel. It's a wild one. Like I definitely um, proved to myself that there are no limits to the imagination, imagination with Jiggly Spy and the Zero Intellect. And that was one hell of a writing experience because these characters in my head are like alive and they were driving the entire narrative. If I wasn't doing something right, they they got had a way to tell me and I went back and had to do rewrites and everything. That was the first book where those characters are actually in my head driving that book. And it was amazing because I would go into like writer's block for a couple of days and all of a sudden, boom, the answer would just pop into my head. And I'm like, damn you, Jiggly Spot. So, <laughs> Jiggly Spot is a half human, half warlock, four foot nine, um, half human, half warlock who works as a clown in a carnival, but is also a lackey for a demonic cult from Shibulba that is planning their yearly summer solstice cannibal celebration. And there's a problem takes place in 2019 that Jiggly has to fix before this summer solstice celebration. So it takes him from New York all the way across America to California two weeks later. Wow. <laughs> Not and there's one of the, the side characters that I find quite um, quite intriguing. I do like, um, I'm editing right now, so you really get the personality in there with the editing. Right. And I'm liking it. I'm enjoying myself. When do you expect it to be released? Okay, so I've been thinking about this for marketing <laughs> purposes, right? So the book will be ready. I take my time. When I'm focused on one project, I give it my all, right? Until I'm like, all right, good. So I'm thinking by this October, I'll have books ready for ARCs, right? Start sending out for ARCs. So if you want an ARC, go to my website, sign up for my mailing list, pdoliva.com. Right. Your website's at the top where I have your bio. So everyone, please take Perfect. heed. <laughs> yes. So our copies, and then what I'm doing is at on October, whatever nine months is from there, I'm going to give it nine months to a publication to do a lot of marketing and build a lot of a lot of good buzz for it. Very excited about Jiggly Spot. Wonderful. Well, you know, yeah. it once gets when you decide when it's coming out and everything, um, hit us up. We could always get you back on and. Um... We'd love to talk about it some more. <laughs> hopefully by then we won't have any, hopefully by then we won't have any internet issues. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah, even if we do, we'll have a good time. I'm sure we will. I want to thank you so much for being on the program tonight. I want to thank all of our listeners. Seriously, it thrills me always to come into the room and there's always people here ready to listen. So thank you so much for being here. We try to put these out every Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. You don't have to be a celeb to be on our program. If you have a great story about your life, we'd love to hear it, and we'd love to have you on. Um, you can visit our website, uh, sheshedstudios.net, to sign up if you're ever interested. Thank you again for all our listeners. It's a deep honor. Thank you, PD, for being on. Everyone have a great evening. Thanks again. Bye-bye for now.